Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man whose life was defined when he was a child and saw Match Game host Gene Rayburn politely stumble out of a restaurant. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! Gene Rayburn. How about that name I'm throwing out? Uh, hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'll quickly tell the Gene Rayburn story because it was a story that uh, I suddenly realized that I wanted to be uh, famous. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a comedian. Like, I wanted attention. And it was the moment in my young childhood, and it was because of Gene Rayburn. So I was sitting, uh, I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and there was a Bucks County Playhouse, and a lot of people would come in there to do plays. So for, I don't know what play, Gene Rayburn, I think, did a bunch of plays there. This is before Match Game. I'm like 10 years old, maybe even eight years old. And all of a sudden, I hear this commotion, and I look up, and there's Gene Rayburn. I don't know who he is. But my parents and other people in the restaurant are just agog that Gene Rayburn has stood up. But I also notice he's sort of politely stumbling out of the restaurant. <laughs> so I don't know if he's hammered. I don't know if he's he's sort of doing a dance like he's trying to cover up his stumble. I don't know if he's putting on a show. I just know that the entire restaurant is going crazy because Gene Rayburn is there. And I thought to myself at a young age, like, I want a restaurant to go crazy. Now, that's never happened to I me. I thought you just wanted to be a polite drunk. <laughs> I, that I accomplished. Uh, anyway, it's just one of those stories, like, when you're a kid, like, something seems so unbelievably important. And it was Gene Rayburn, who I went on to watch every day during college, host match game. And I loved that show, and I got to meet Charles Nelson Riley later when I've told that story on this show. Or if I haven't, I will. Um, probably three or four times, because I'm running out of material. I'm running out of stories. But we got a guest today with some great stories, and he's got a book out, um, which we're going to talk about. So why don't we uh, do a little cue to set up the tone of who we're dealing with here today. Here we go. We got a drum roll going. Here's the introduction. He is the producer of films you've never heard of. Films like Forrest Gump. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic here. Flight, Contact, Allied, Castaway, starring me and Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yeah, I think Tom was in Did the movie. Did you play the volleyball? Uh, <laughs> and he worked on such little-known movies. Again, I'm being sarcastic. Back to the Future, Roger Rabbit, a little tiny movie we just heard the music from. Star Wars Five: The Empire Strikes Back. He's the uh, he was the executive producer of the most successful. Everything is sarcastic today. So Successful far ahead TV of its time. show, Johnny Bago. It was ahead of its time. We can Wait. talk about that a little yeah. bit today. Uh, but I really wanted to, uh, most of today is going to be talking about his book that he wrote called Breaking and Entering, The Education of a Film Producer. Anyway, please welcome old friend and very successful film producer, Mr. Steve Starkey. Yay! Yay, Steve! 
three of us are all applauding. Yeah. Here today. Yeah, all right. That's the most applause I've ever got. Three. Three. That's wonderful. You know, I feel good now. Uh, I was thinking about when you and I met, which has been a long time now, but then after reading your book, I'm realizing we met earlier. Because yeah. I was thinking it was back in Johnny Bago days. No, we have a mutual friend. Go ahead. You take this. Peter Seaman. But go, Peter Seaman, yes. That, I met those guys from Tales from the Crypt. I think I met you on Amazing Stories. Yeah, you probably did. Because I did the Burt, I was an actor in the Burt Reynolds. Yes, and I was actually associate producer on that episode. Yes, yes. And, and reading your book, you had to deal a lot with Burt Reynolds, <laughs> yes. which I think a lot of people in Hollywood can claim they had to deal a lot because he was not. So were you a friend of Burt's or Dom, De was, or Dom DeLuise? I was a friend of Dom DeLuise. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, oh yeah. He was uh, a really, really close friend. But, uh, Joanna Ray was the casting director. Um, yeah, Ray name? is her last name, but I don't know about Joanna. Yes. Karen Ray. Karen Ray. And I got cast in it. Yeah. And then when I showed up, I let Dom know I was going to be there. He was thrilled. But then he let me hang out with Bert and Dom in their, and Lonnie in their sort of separate dressing that world. Room. Yes. So, uh, so I think that's maybe where we first met. And I was thinking it was 1986. So was Bert wearing those tight jeans and that sort of button shirt with the gold? And when you well, <laughs> when that's directing the wore every day. <laughs> yeah, right. I will say this about, and I've said this, the, like the three best directors I ever worked with: uh, Bob Zemeckis, yeah, Blake Edwards, okay, and and Burt Reynolds. I All thought right. he was an. I don't know he's what great. you thought. No, he's great. And he makes everybody comfortable on the set. And what they all had, they, they all did the same thing, which yeah. was when you, they give you a note, all they would do is volume control. They would, right. yeah, I'm doing this for the camera there. They would do this. They would go like, eh, dial it up a little bit. And then uh, I'm talking or like back Bob. back off a little. Yeah, talk about it, go back down a little bit. Yeah. And that's how they directed. It's not like give it to me happier. Yes, it was none of that. <laughs> or do it with an accent, nothing yeah. like that. It was just volume control right. on performance. Right. And I thought that, uh, anyway. Usually it triggers the emotion much better. Yes. For an actor. Um, we just, it's, it's just great. They better have it yeah. by the time they show up for, they better have the character down by the time they show up to film. Yeah, right. So at, at that point, it's just uh, uh, volume control. But anyway, Steve, you have had uh, an incredible career, which you talk about in your book. Um, if you look at Steve, you think you're a guy who went to a lot of Grateful Dead concerts. <laughs> I did. You did, <laughs> yes. which is sort of how it, you got into sh not Grateful Dead, but you you sort of fell into this incredible career. Yeah. So talk about, and I know you talk about that in the book, but but tell us about that. You mean about how I first broke in or just... Well, you started out as an electrician, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, because I came down to L.A. I didn't know anyone, and so uh, I did what anybody would do. I went to Larry Evans' bookstore, yes. and I got, like, production A to Z. Did you want to work in showbiz? You wanted to I work wanted in film? I wanted to get, well... You know, I was I was in construction work, so I kind of wanted to learn a trade. Right. But I I wanted to get learn a trade in film, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to go get hired and see, you know, how you get started to become a cameraman right. or sound man or anybody. You didn't know. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how movies were made. Right. So I was just whatever. And what, and what year is this? Seventy five. Seventy five. Okay. Yeah. 
So I go down, I finish school at Berkeley, where, of course, you learn a lot about film. I'm joking, they didn't have a film department. <laughs> so I go down to L.A., and uh, I start pounding the street, and nothing happened. And so I'm sitting in this uh, HR office at Universal Studios. Yeah. And, you know, you're with a couple other knuckleheads filling out, you know, your application. It's not going to go anywhere. Someone's going to, you know, toss it in a bin. Right. And I heard this guy say, you know, yesterday I broke on the lot at uh, Warner Brothers and started walking around. I said, <laughs> and I went, wow, he did? So that afternoon, yes. I go to the back lot of Universal and I see this bus going around the parking lot. Now it's got a bunch of other sets and backlot stuff. But then it was a big parking lot. I saw the guys congregate at the end of the line of cars. The bus would come by, pick them up, into the studio they went. Yeah. I was in with you, the group. You went with the next group. <laughs> I was with the next so group. So now you're on the lot. Now I'm on the lot. And I... Had you ever been on a lot before? A movie no, lot? No. That's so funny. So I get off and I just start wandering around, right. you know, and see big stages, you know, that you imagine or seen from the street, you yeah, know. Yeah, sure. And I walk into a stage and they're shooting some TV show or something. Right. And I walk up to Rockford each of the- Rockford Files or something. Probably. I oh, in the book, on, you talk about Robert Conrad. Rock, I worked on Rockford Files. <laughs> that's good. And I, and I did work with Robert Conrad. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, we can but do anyway, a, so I go and talking to the guys, and, they, and each of them said, look, you should just go to the department here on the lot. Sometimes they hire newbies just to do, like, whatever the starting apprenticeship work is. The first place I got a reaction was in the electrical department. There was this tall Texan, and I went up and he got it. No, we don't got nothing today, but, you know, try us again tomorrow. So I said, it's okay. It's almost like out of, on the waterfront, like yeah, you're looking yeah. for jobs. I'm looking for a job. Yeah. And, of course, it's all unionized. Right. Like on the waterfront. And uh, so I'm leaving, and I look up, and it says, uh, his name was Shackelford. I said, Wow, I used to sneak into those basketball games at UCLA. And Lynn, was Shackleford? Lynn Shackleford. Yeah. I mean, you don't know Lynn Shackleford. Wow, that's my son. Your son is Lynn Shackleford, the left-handed shot from the side of the UCLA bro. <laughs> said, yeah. And I said, I'll be darned. I loved him. And he said, now, you listen, son. You come back here tomorrow, and let's see if maybe we got something for you. Oh, my God. That's what it took. I went back a number of days in a row, and finally he put me on a show. Baba Blackshoot with Robert Conrad. That's right, in your book you talk about, yeah. about that. So, you, that so Bob Conrad <laughs> is your introduction to Hollywood. To movies. Oh, man. That's, uh, Ray, I, wrote a, I wrote a TV movie for him, so I know Bob Conrad. In my acknowledgments, I acknowledged Ray Shackle for, for giving me my first job, because I figured if he hadn't given me that job, maybe I would have been painting houses. Yeah. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> so. But everybody sort of has that story. The thing that I think that the uh, successful people seem to always have is they made it happen for themselves. It's almost right. like writing. Like you got to make the character create the conflict themselves, whatever it is. Right. Jeremiah's here. He's taking pictures. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what this is for, but he's here. <laughs> I don't know. Is it some magazine you have it in the It could be. We don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I was worried about Jeremiah. I should give a little shout out. Jeremiah Higgins is the producer. Dr. D, the engineer. Richard Dugan. I always forget to mention them. You should certainly mention them now that he's taking a picture. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, so... Let's jump ahead. And for those people who don't know, like, 
then through all these machinations, you become a really big producer of really big movies, big, expensive, epic movies. But just quickly explain like what a producer does, because it's different in TV. Usually producers yeah. are writers. Yes. But you're the guy. Well, you tell them. Well, basically, you're, it's like you're the, the head of a construction project, you know, construction site. Right. So you're in charge of hiring, you know, the electrician, the framer, the painter, the plumber. You're hiring all these people. And in a sense, the, the architectural drawings, which is done by a scriptwriter in movies, is your guide. So that's what you're using sort of as a template uh -huh. for, uh, you know, so you're managing the crew. You're involved. If, if you're in the role that I was in, you're involved from the very beginning, which is when they're developing the screenplay, hiring the cast, selecting the cast, right. choosing all the technicians that are going to lead all the various departments and then managing them throughout the shoot. And then I always took it to the end where you're involved in the editing, post-production, sound, music. Right, whole thing. and that is not most producers handed off to a post-production. Yeah, well, Certainly in television they do. It's often divided up where there'll be producers who develop material, find material, hire a producer or possibly a lead actor, and then they, they take off and hire another producer to make the movie. But your skills, I think, are beyond most producers because of your expertise in post. Yes, with so editing, and and because which we're going to get to in the next segment is you find yourself up in at Lucas Ranch working on the Empire Strikes Back as an associate editor. Right. Okay. Which I want to get to in the break. Uh, we're coming up on a break, right, Doctor D? Okay. Why not take one now? Uh, I'm talking to Steve Starkey. His book. I'm going to show it on camera right there. Breaking and Entering: The Education of a Film Producer. One of the things I love about this book is. It's really about your journey. It's not about like it's not a book. If you want to read a book about a producer's journey, read this book. If you want to read like what Meryl Streep said, you know, it's like it's not that book. It's not those kinds of stories. It's really about a guy's journey. And I, I always love journeys. That's how I I tell so many stories on here about, you know, being a waiter and then getting jobs and it's always the journey to me that is it's so much more interesting. It's so than, much more interesting. Once you get there. Yes. <laughs> well, that's fun too, but, but the journey, you're absolutely sure right. It's more fun. Okay, we're going to take our first break. Uh, you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny. It's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Hey, dummy! Are you bored or just playing Snoop? No, I'm Forrest Gump. Just run away, Forrest. Run, Forrest! Run away! Hurry! Get the bikes! Hurry up! Let's get it! Oh, look out, dummy! Here we go! Get you! How iconic is that line? Run, Forrest, run. It's unbelievable. I'm talking to Steve Starkey. Welcome back. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'm talking to Steve Starkey, a producer of that film, Forrest Gump, which is unbelievable when you think 
of the success of that film. You said you had a story about that bus. Yeah, what happened, you know, is that this is the the bus to school. This is Forrest's first time getting on a bus to school. And he, of course, meets this little angel, Jenny, on the on that bus. Yeah. And I always said, I knew that scene would never get cut. And it wasn't because he meets Jenny on that bus. It's because of all the relatives and children that were on the bus playing the children. <laughs> For example, Bob Zemeckis' Alex, son, Alex, Alex was on yes, the bus. Yes, that's right. My nephew, Ben, was on the bus. Don Burgess's son, the cinematographer's son, was on the bus. And Tom Hanks's daughter, Elizabeth, was on the Never going to cut that Never scene. Never going to cut that scene. <laughs> you can't go home if you cut that scene. And wasn't the bus driver, what was her name? Siobhan? Yes. She was a friend of Mary Ellen? Yes. Yes. Another reason. Not going to yes, cut that not scene. Not cutting that scene. The wife's good friend is not going to get cut out. <laughs> That's right. Um, so uh, let's, let's jump back to Lucasland because I got to spend a little time there through our friend Danny, our mutual friend Danny Hahn. Um, who used to make Christmas gifts for Jane Bay for, for, Lucasfilm. for Lucasfilm. Yeah. So I met Jane Bay. Which so, is, by the way, where I met Danny Hahn. You met her up there? Yes. Wow. Yes. In oh, like boy. the, when was it? Like in the early 80s or late? We, we went there more like 94, uh, although no, I think I, Danny was there earlier. Yeah. Like she That's brought us up. Yeah. Yeah, and That's then so through funny. serendipity, I was at a party at Peter's house, and Danny was there and said, hey, didn't we meet up at Lucasland? Oh, my gosh. So I, how did you get to Lucasland? Well, my dad, who, you know, I told my dad I wanted to change in my career from being an electrician. Oh, tell the story about the car wash. You met some guys at a car, it's in your book, you meet some guys at a car wash, and they say, like, you're too smart to be doing this. No, yeah, I didn't meet, it was the, the gaffer. That's the it. The chief lighting technician on a movie is called The Gaffer, and I was working for him as one of his slaves, and he said, <laughs> he and the cameraman are they're sitting around having some coffee. He said, well, why, are you, why are you doing this work? <laughs> I said, well, it's a job. I'm in, the, I'm in the film industry, you know? And they said, you're too smart to be doing it. Find something else to do. You don't want to be pulling cable and turning on lights. Right. And right then, I was starting to feel this urge to do something different. And my wife, who was working as a pastry chef in L.A., she was having troubles in the kitchen at this high-level restaurant, and we just said, you know, let's move back to Northern California. And so it was kind of the kick in the ass I needed to just reinvent yourself. And so I did. I went to Lucasfilm. But how did you even know there was a job there? Well, there wasn't, really. You just showed up again and got on the bus? <laughs> kind of. No, when I, before I left Berkeley, I knew one guy in the yeah. Bay Area who was in the film industry. His name was Jimmy Bloom, and he was an assistant director. He had gone on to become an associate producer on Star Wars. Wow. The only guy, and he said, if you really want to get a job, go to L.A. So I go down there. I'm doing this electrical. I'm coming back. I called Jimmy. I said, I did it for two years, Jimmy. I'm back. He said, well, why don't you have lunch with me? I'm working up at Lucasfilm. I had moved to Marin County like a bicycling distance to Lucasfilm. Oh I didn't have a second car to right. afford it. So I cycle over to Lucasfilm, meet with Jimmy, and he introduces me to the employees of Lucasfilm, which at that time was like five people. Right. It was Jane Bay as assistant, Chrissy the receptionist, Lucy the accountant, you know, and Howie the the projectionist. So I meet all these people and I give my number to Jane Bay. She calls me. 
She said, hey, we need, oh, they had a production assistant. Uh -huh. He calls me and said, I need some help. We're setting up these houses for, this, uh, for people coming from out of town for more American graffiti. Can you help me? Sure. What do you want me to do? Just meet the movers at these places and hook the telephones up, you know, whatever. And you know how to do that. I know how to do that. So I sat there and did that. And uh, he decided to leave Marin and go to L.A. I was there. Jane said, let's hire him. And I got hired as the production assistant at Lucasfilm. Unbelievable. Yeah. At 100 bucks a week, I had been making triple that as a, as a lighting technician. Right. So there I was. So the first time I go in with this check for $125 or something, Lucy says, she gives me the check, the accountant, and says, now be sure to cash this. I said, well, of course I'm going to cash it. It's my paycheck. And she said, no, a lot of people keep these checks because George signs them. And they uh, think his signature is more valuable than the check. <laughs> I said, well, not me. I need the money. <laughs> uh, speaking of that sort of thing, I have a framed check from a bet that I made with Bob Zemeckis that Forrest Gump would win the Academy Award. Really? Yes. And he said, no, it's not going to win. I said, I'll bet you a hundred bucks. And, and he I wrote me a check. He wrote me a check. And, it, and the note says, a bet's a bet. I love that. hundred bucks. Good for uh, Bob. Good for Bob. So uh, you mentioned more American graffiti. Yeah, that's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Nobody kidding. talks about that more film. More than American graffiti. No. Here's the thing. American <laughs> graffiti is my favorite George Lucas film. It's a classic. And and trust me, I love Star Wars, but I'm not like a sci-fi yeah. lightsaber guy. Yeah. American Graffiti is a quintessential American film. And you love to imagine Ronnie Howard smoking pot with Harrison Ford. That's why you really love it. Um, but I also love more American Graffiti. Yeah. The only part, and this is what I'm getting, this is a roundabout way to get to your book dedication. So you dedicate your book to the guys from the birds. Yes. 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 Chris Hillman and... Yes. Uh, okay. So... The only crazy part. I thought it was a telling line that it so is. you want to be a rock and roll star. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the only crazy part of more American graffiti is that whole aspect with Doug Som. Yes. From the Flying Burrito Brothers, which Chris Hillman was in, I believe, yes, after the birds. Let's right. See, I'm coming around well, circle coming around there. To it. So, but I love that movie. I think it 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 got dumped on. But I think it's a really great movie that people should watch. More American. Yeah, graffiti. it was a great follow-up. These sequels are tricky. You got to feed what the audience wants, but you want to make it into something. Yes. And I thought they took the lives of those characters in the right direction. It was almost like before there was serialized television. Yeah. There was more American graffiti, right. like because you end American graffiti on Charles Martin Smith uh, disappeared in Vietnam. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, we see how it happened. Yeah. Uh, you don't still don't see how. And by Milner, the way, it was really good Vietnam footage shot in that movie. That footage was scary. Yeah, I mean, it just shot in the Central Valley. <laughs> um, okay, let's. Anyway, I'm thinking about that now. So, um, so another funny thing you say in your book is uh, when you're the new guy. Yes, you refer to the new guy, and I. Quick story, like. My first job ever, this call sheet, and I see on the call sheet, Timothy Stack, new. And I thought they were referring to me like I've never worked before, like I'm new in the industry. But your new guy was, you're the new guy. Yeah, well, I was always the new guy. 
I mean, that was the, that's the thing when you're trying to make your way in the film industry. No matter what job you take, you're always the new guy because yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so when I go into the editing room on more American Graffiti, they shot that movie in three different formats, in 16 millimeter, in 35 millimeter, and then widescreen 35. Well, the, I was filing trims. Filing as an Explain what that is. Filing trims is when the editor makes a cut, he usually has these pieces on either end that he takes away because he puts in his perfect fitting piece of film. Well, and those, this is back in the days of real film. Real film, which kids today don't know about because they've never seen film. But in any case, you had to take those little trims and put them back in the rolls they came from. Oh. So now there's little itty bitty ones, there's bigger ones, and other bigger ones. I didn't know the difference with these pieces of film. And you can't make a mistake. <laughs> yeah, and you got to put it back where it belongs because right. you might have. To, you might say, "Hey, you know that piece I cut out? Can you go get it for me?" Yeah, and you go, "Yeah, just wait a minute. I'll be back." <laughs> Are you going to lunch? <laughs> yeah. I get, need a few minutes. You get on your bicycle and <laughs> yeah, drive home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go look for another job. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. So, so then, what got you back to LA? Well, I through time up at Lucasfilm, you know, I've worked on that on Empire Strikes Back and then on Return of the Jedi, at the end of which I started doing these making of documentaries. Yes. I did a couple of them for uh for Frank Marshall at Amp, including the one on Raiders and finally on Indiana Jones. So when I'm starting the documentary on Indiana Jones, uh, Steven, who had just moved into this new building at Universal called Steven Amblin, Spielberg. Spielberg. Not all of us are on a first name basis. <laughs> okay. well, the other Steve. The okay. other SS. Okay. SS, that is. He said, I want that documentary edited in my new building. So Frank calls up and said, hey, we want to move your operation from your little editing room up in Marin down to L.A. Said, Great. Sure. Can Liv come? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure, we'll come to L.A. So that was my introduction, uh, you know, into into working at uh, at Amblin and with Spielberg. But what you go back to your specific question? I'm trying to remember your specific question was how did I? How you got back down to L.A.? Well, how did I get into L.A.? Yeah. So that was what brought me to L.A. And then once there, uh, when I finished up the documentary, I was looking for a job. Uh, to continue my editing career. So Frank said, hey, they're starting up this movie called uh, Back to the Future. They're looking for a second editor. Why don't you go interview with the editor? So I interviewed... Was Artie Schmidt the editor? Artie Schmidt, who, who we just, just recently passed, was the editor. And he came to, you know, I interviewed, and I could quickly tell I'd never edited a feature film. They're looking for a real guy. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, I'm not going to get this, you know. So anyway, I go to Frank and he said, yeah, you're right. You didn't get the job. <laughs> but then Artie always said to me, I'm responsible for the fact you became a film producer because yeah. I turned you down on that movie. <laughs> That's said, really funny. <laughs> right, Artie. God bless him. Uh, so how did you How did you then go to the next? So you're, so, you're yeah, part so of this I, world. So then Frank says, okay, forget Back to the Future. We're starting this TV series, Amazing Stories. Gotcha. Interview there. All right, I go there. The producer comes to, to Frank and says, look, I just interviewed with Steve. He's great, but I don't want to hire him as an editor. But I'd love to hire him as an associate producer because uh, he knows everything uh, about post-production. What do you think he And say? also having been a 
uh, lighting guy. You know about what I goes know, on on the set. But but primarily the associate producer in television is responsible for finishing the shows. Yes. Editing, music, sound, getting it ready for broadcast. Yes. I'd done all that when I was on the Star Wars films. So he said, do you think you'd want to do that? And so Frank calls me in the office and he says, tell me what your five-year plan is. <laughs> And I said, five. I got a five-minute plan. I got a five-minute plan. I said, in five years, I want to be an associate producer on one of your movies. He said, really? Okay. I tell you what. I got a starting job for you then. Over on Amazing Stories, they need an associate producer. Take the job. I said, well, okay. Okay. So I took the job. I was offered, took the job. And I immediately had like PT. I was terrified. Well, I thought we should I, we should refresh people's memory of that show. How are we doing on time? Are we all right. Um, Amazing Stories was a show created by George Lucas and no, by, no, by Spielberg. By Spielberg, yes. Lucas was one of the directors they brought in. No, Spielberg. No, Spielberg directed the opening episode as well as executive producing the entire anthology. But all these directors, yes, very famous well, directors like Burt Reynolds, yeah. Clint Eastwood, Martin Scorsese. All came in and directed episodes as a favor to Steven. Right. But that job handling those guys was huge. Huge. And the pressure, because people don't realize in the film world, the director is it. He oh, is yeah. the field marshal, he's the Fuhrer, he's all of that stuff. So to you're working with Scorsese and then all of a sudden you're with Clint Eastwood. This is a this is the making a movie in television. Yes. So you're working with film director, not like television, where writers are in control or producers. Here, directors are in control, and big directors. Big directors who are used to big budgets, not TV yeah. budgets. Also, that show, because it was an anthology show, it's not you're not back in the home set of the kitchen to no. shoot there where everybody knows it. It's a new set every, every week. week. Just like Johnny Bago. Just like Johnny Bega, <laughs> it all comes back. And on that note, <laughs> people want to watch Johnny Bega. All six episodes are on YouTube. They should. They're, They're oh, really clever. They're that, great. A show that was meant for modern-day serialized been, television. It should have been on HBO. We could have done whatever we wanted. It was not built for CBS. I think it was on CBS. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was not built for CBS. Anyway, let's take another break. I'm talking to Steve Starkey. He's the writer of, I'm holding it up again, Breaking and Entering, The Education of a Film Producer. Right there, that's a really good picture of you. Yeah. Who drew that picture? Doug Chang. Oh, man. Actually, I'll tell you more about that after the break. Okay, let's take a break. And, there, and also, the book has great pictures inside, yeah. too. So, okay, we'll take a break. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. It's Steve Starkey, and I'm here promoting my recent publication, Breaking and Entering. I wrote this uh, after producing a number of films with Robert Zemeckis, including Castaway and Forrest Gump and a number of others. But in any case, I'm happy to be here on its radio with TV's Stim Stack. All right, we are back. That was a little uh, Back to the Future soundtrack because we're talking to a man, Steve Starkey, who worked on that film 
among many other things. And his book, Breaking and Entering, The Education of a Film Producer, I'm holding it up again right there. Cool picture. Um, so you said you had a story about the picture. Oh, no. Well, yeah, the picture, uh, I worked a little later in my Bob Zemeckis career. Uh, Which, we, that's what I want to talk about in this Yeah, segment. we formed a, a company called Image Movers Digital to make motion capture films. We had done the Polar Express, which was really a lot of fun, and we learned about the technology and what was possible. I turned down a part in that film. Why'd you do that? Because my face wasn't going to be seen. Oh, you're, for Christ's sake. Are you serious? No. Well, uh, who was the casting director? Victoria Burroughs. Yes. She said, Bob really wants you to do it. And it was like, it was one of those but things Tim, like... you would have been perfect. You're just such a good actor. We could have made a great face for you. There you go. <laughs> I said, wait a second. I'm not going to talk or be seen. I'm just going to be in a great... But you're funny, Tim. You know, your actions are funny. You are. You use it. I was like, eh, I think I still want to be on camera. Oh, for Christ. Hey, if Tom Hanks could play nine roles, you couldn't play one? The, Tom Hanks' face was seen. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. It was like this book cover. In other words, it was a digit... A digi version of it. So this photograph yeah. was taken on the set of Back to the Future 2. But oh. what happened is I said, look, I'm doing a, I called up Doug Chang, and he was our lead artist at this company, Image Movers Digital. I said, Doug, who's the young Doug Chang? Because I would like to put an old studio kind of in sepia yeah. behind my a photograph for the cover of this book I'm doing. He said, I don't want anyone else to do it. I'll do it at night myself. Just send me what you... So I sent him this photograph. He kind of sepia, put a sepia tone to it. Yeah. And then he painted in Universal in the background. That became the cover of the book. I got it. An email. I said, Doug, that's perfect. You're a genius. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. Uh, it's a great pick. And then, and then inside the book, I'm, I'm not going to hold... Okay, maybe I can hold it up. But there are all kinds of like crazy... Fun pictures of you on sets, and and um, the one that stuck out to me too was the noises off. I forgot you yeah, worked on yeah. that. Who's, who's that Carol Burnett that? and John Ritter and Michael Caine? That was crazy. Yeah, that cast. Mary Lou Henner. Mary Lou Henner. Julie Haggerty. Yeah. Mark Lynn Baker. I back, just saw Julie Haggerty, and she was the mom in some. Anyway. Oh yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I saw that too. I yeah. can't remember what it was. And Carol Burnett just turned ninety. Yeah, so this was a great cast, and they were all on the same set every single day for 30 days. That must have been it hilarious. Was, it was great. And everybody got and, along? Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, too well, some of them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I saw the that's, door. Uh, saw, that's, it's radio after dark. Uh, yeah, that's right. We'll save that story. <laughs> yeah, a lot of kissing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a lot of pictures of Frank Marshall. He's really key in your, he, in he, your life. Yeah, he was. Starting with giving me the opportunity on that documentary that brought me down to Amblin, uh, he continued to be my mentor, uh, particularly in through Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future, where I was associate producer. He was the guy who was instrumental in, in keeping my career going. And in yeah. fact, I'm working on uh, Roger Rabbit and in a sort of undefined role, overseeing visual effects and post-production. So I'm in London working with the effects crew, and I go to the theater, and it was, um, which actor was it? There was an actor in the wings, and Frank said, look, I want to just come and say hello. Why don't you come with me? I'm going to say hello to, it was Sir, um, anyway, I can't quite remember. So I'm in there, and when he introduces me and say, hey, I'd like to introduce you to the associate producer of the film, Steve Starkey. First time that that, that had come up on a film. Wow. So true to his word, 
Frank in the office telling me, go to Amazing Stories, we'll move you into a movie world as an associate producer. He did that on Roger Rabbit. Wow. Yeah. So, and so that's how you met Bob Zemeckis. On the set of Roger Rabbit, I was hired in this role, I, this undefined role, and came to Bob and said, hi, Bob, this is the first day of shooting in Los Angeles, with right. cars up and down the street, you know, Bob Hoskins jumping on the back of a, you know, a car. And I said, Bob, I've been hired to do the post-production and visual effects on, uh, on the movie. And he said, good luck. <laughs> that was my that was can, my first meeting with Bob in my life. Good luck. <laughs> That's so funny. And then he and I not only bonded on that movie, taking 13 trips back and forth to London together to the animation facility. Right. Um, we continued on Back to the Future 2 and 3, and then he hired me as the producer on Death Becomes Her, and, and that yeah. was it. Well, a couple of things I want to point out. One is that... It sounds as though you you sort of haphazardly fall into Hollywood, getting on that bus back at Universal. But you clearly, because you just would not have succeeded if you were not good at your job. Again, you look like you go to Grateful Dead concerts, but the guy who goes to Grateful Dead concerts all the time is not going to succeed the way you succeeded unless you're really good at your job. And you clearly... Yeah, I worked really hard at it. And... Look, I got a lot of education along the way, and and what I've come to think with this book is really is a is a thank you to all the people who mentored me and helped me, yes, nurtured me and taught me along the way, because you know you know you can be self taught, but it certainly helps to have people who are experts and good at the, what they do to be mentoring you and leading you you know into your next position. Yes. So I had the luck of always having these great people. And so I think a lot of this when I say, and he was great, I'm thinking, I'm really saying, thanks, you guys, for taking me under your wing right. and letting me learn, you know, from right. you. Um, but there is a moment in the book where, and I think it's sort of like if you're from the writing standpoint, and this is, again, goes back to the journey idea. This book is not about, like, what Tom Hanks, you know, was right. like. Although we talked about Although that, I do at, have a lot of those stories. You do. We talked. We saw each other at a party. We were talking about what we were talking about this upcoming interview. It's like what Tom. What is Tom Hanks like? And having worked on Castaway, I can say he's really nice and he's really really funny. Like he's funny on screen, but he's genuinely witty and funny and yeah. Um, but the book is about this journey, and I feel like from a writer's standpoint. The moment Bob Zemeckis says to you, hey, I want you to produce Death Becomes Her, it's almost like that's the end of the movie. Right. Because you've made it. Like right. all that hard work and all those adventures, now suddenly Bob Zemeckis says, I want you to produce Death Becomes you Her. finally got there. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about and these particularly with Bob Zemeckis movies is there's always a level of technology yeah involved and I'm thinking to myself you had to stay on top of all that stuff too yeah which is if you get to know me the this Grateful Dead look is in fact accurate because I am the least technological you didn't know about zoom we could I <laughs> yeah I don't know anything so you know when Bob says okay you know we're gonna mix animation with live action my first adventure with him it's like 
First of all, I'd never done any animation. Right. I didn't even know what a cell looked like or how you painted it. Right. And then what do you do with it? Right. Oh, you photograph it, and then what? And all these stages of, oh, then we got to actually somehow composite it together with the real photography we do on the set and make an animated character be in there with them. Well, how the hell do we do that? <laughs> you know. So, but, but did you it was just like did you Christ. say that, or did you act like you knew what you were doing? No, I listened. Yeah, and very I, good. I Most listened. people don't. No, I just listened and say, okay, all right. And then I go Ken Ralston, who is the effects guru. Right. You know, I say so, Ken. What's the first step? He said, okay. And he would take me step by step. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna and then what we do is when Bob has a cut of the movie. We're going to photograph every individual frame, and they become the background that the animators are going to gotcha. animate over, so they can see every frame in relation to what their little animated character is doing. And when you put it together, it's like those little thumb things that you do as a kid. It'll all you know come to life right. with the live action. I go, okay, that's good. But what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, now I got the picture. Right. <laughs> so it's like that. And you just go department. And I actually wrote a how to do Roger Rabbit book with the head of animation, Don Hahn, yeah. who's my co-associate producer. And we wrote this book to tell everybody else, step by step, how the heck you do, you, right. you make a shot. Wow. <laughs> Which but, I didn't know at all. <laughs> but again, he's always like, you know, thinking technology. And I'm hearkening back to a moment with, I don't know if you were there, but this is when he was married to Mary Ellen, his first wife. And they had a screening room, which was really cool, like a legit screening room. And we got invited because we were very good friends with Mary Ellen and Bob. But uh, so, and she was showing, I think, Lethal Weapon 3, maybe. She, she had maybe pretty, worked on it. Yes. Yeah, I think she was. She oh, she part. played the psychiatrist. Yes. She, that was like a big part for her. Yes. Because she was always, she was Mel Gibson's antagonist. So we watched the movie and it was great. I love those Lethal Weapon movies. And it was great. And we I think the too. night's over. And then Bob suddenly says, hey, do you guys mind if I show you a little something? It's, it's from this movie I'm working on. I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, great. And it was the scene you were talking about earlier. It's the Dick Cavett show where Forrest Gump has replaced Yoko Ono on the show. Yes. And it was just a little clip. Yes. And everybody in the room, and Peter Seaman was there, and whoever else was there, couldn't talk. Like, we were so blown away by what we had seen. Like, again, how do you do that? Well, once again, you know, it's, when face when reading the Forrest Gump screenplay, numerous places th throughout the movie... He's meeting with President Kennedy, yes. President Johnson, President Nixon. Right. He's, you know, of course, on the show and inspiring the lyrics to Imagine with John Lennon. Yeah. I mean, you know, actually a scene that got cut out, he was on the Selma Bridge in, in Alabama when uh, Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King, King was marching. Unbelievable. He was cut out. But, you know, at the schoolhouse door with Governor Wallace. Yes. All these things like, yeah, cool. How the hell, how the <laughs> how hell do you do, do that? that? And make it look legit. But then, but how do you even start? Like, where's the footage? So I had two guys hired who combed every library stock footage house to find footage that sort of resembled the screenplay. Right. Then as soon as the writer, Eric Roth and Bob, saw the clip, they then rewrote the gotcha. scene so that Forrest could 
become part of something that existed. Right. Then we had to figure out, well, how do we recreate the sections with Forrest to make it look like he's really there? Right. And it got layered and layered and layered, and we went, oh, my God, this is really something. Now, the Dick Cavett show was the simplest because everybody on the show would play themselves, and Forrest would just get inserted dressed as he is. Yes. And and the, all you did is you had to find a moment when, you know, John Lennon looked and said, you know, said a line, and right. then you just have Forrest lead into the line. Yeah. Okay, we can do And we had Dick Cavett live. But the whole thing, so, I remember that night, like, just, It's like crazy. The lips were matching, and everybody was just blown away. And at that point, I knew... I didn't make that bet with Bob Zemeckis then. <laughs> when the movie came out is when I made the bet. But I did just think like this is, uh, we are all, we have just witnessed something. Something new. Something much more than new. Just something really, really brilliant. Yeah. Uh, okay. Steve Starkey is here on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's his book, Breaking and Entering, The Education of a Film Producer. Really fun read, especially if you want to read about a guy's journey into filmmaking. And there's a lot of stories in there, too, and anecdotes, but it's really uh, it's really uh, good stuff. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Look, friend, I canceled a flight to Florida where somebody spotted Elvis in the wacky, weasy water show for this. All right, all right, so he wasn't in the trailer, but I know he's around here somewhere. I mean, I even have a photo. Look at this. Is this Elvis or what? It might be Elvis, or it might be Sasquatch. That is another... I wish I got Johnny Bago residuals, because for the number of clips that I run from Johnny Bago on this show... They should be paying you. Uh, Actually, that you was, should be on strike, because they don't pay you for that. That was another clip from Johnny Bago, which you can watch for free on YouTube. I didn't put the show on there, but it was really funny, and I got to play, uh, I think, five different reporters. You did. And and one of them was a female. And I, I defy people to actually recognize you as each reporter. <laughs> and and that was the Elvis episode. Yeah, and and of course these guys are producing the show. They're just like, do whatever you want, Tim. <laughs> so Have I fun play, with it. Can I play with a guy with a lisp and he's a reporter? Yeah, sure. Why not? Go ahead, do that. <laughs> can I do be a woman in this as a female reporter? Yeah, you do that. And I'll quickly shut up about me. But that costume that you had to go out and find for me as a female reporter <laughs> was worn by John Lithgow in The World According to Garp. You're kidding. No, that's the only outfit that he could find. And my, you're, that's your size. That was my size. Yeah. I mean, it was six foot four <laughs> yeah, woman. Right. How are you going to find a six foot four? I'm trying to think, what's that woman on... Uh, uh, on that Ted Lasso, how tall is she? She's tall, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably has the same trouble. Maybe she's using. No, I think they made her clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I think Johnny Vega was like, "We're not going to make him clothes. Go find him something." He wants to play a woman on this show. Yeah, right. uh, yeah but my niece is now John Lithgow's assistant. You so I sent the that. picture, and he said, "She, my uncle wants to know if you recognize this outfit." Hey, he was so. on an amazing story. Was he? Yeah, it was called the doll. 
It was this guy who was about a little... It was, it was directed by a kid, uh, Phil Joano. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, he's the one who directed the episode. Okay. Anyway. Uh, I'm talking to Steve Starkey. Did I already say that? No, because I went into uh, uh, Johnny Bago land. Yeah. Uh, Breaking and Entering, The Education of a Film Producer. You can buy it on Amazon, I believe. You can. BarnesandNoble.com, probably out there. Yeah, too. you can there, too. Um, so I did want to say... Um, I want to talk about the book a little bit like how hard was it to write this book? Because you have your whole life here, basically post-teenage years right. into adulthood, but it's written very clear. Like, it's very vivid. So I was wondering how you did that, because I don't think I'd be able to do it. I do. Well, the, the, the most difficult part was not was not, was not going off track, you know, because there's so much that happens in your life that has nothing to do with your pursuit of a film career. Right. So as you're writing, it's like, oh, there's, uh, cut that out. Did you have an editor? No, oh. I didn't. I, well, I had a an editor here in town who went through, and I would say, a line editor, one who kind of who cleaned up everything with right. me, but. No, I just wrote and cut and trimmed and, you know, just let my voice, you know, and I'll tell you what made this easy is it was entirely from my point of view. Right. So I had nobody to say what's right and wrong. Right. You, you were know, the director. I was the director. It was my book. It was my story and the heck right. with all of you. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so, which made it simpler because you're just reminiscing and telling stories of your life as it pertains to the journey to becoming a producer. But I was thinking about the process because I literally on for this radio show, every five weeks or so, Richard, Dr. D will say, hey, we need we need more voiceovers because I always tell like a stupid showbiz some story from my life. And so there are times where I have to sit down and feel like and I have to think about another story to tell for yeah. this. And I was thinking about your process, like going back in your brain and thinking about. Because it's it all very just, it, linear. It all leads yeah, it just to all, another. It all just came out. You know, I have a pretty good. And the other thing is, I figure if I don't remember it, it's not a story worth telling. <laughs> <laughs> so I just That's kept. A good point. So I just kept writing what I remembered. <laughs> yes. That's a really, really good point. Uh, and you dedicated the book to the birds. You want to be a rock and roll star, which is your. And and at the end, you thank your wife, Liv. I do want to tell a funny story about Liv. Yeah, uh, Steve's wife, Liv, is as she's a very mellow, kind person. Again, there's a hippie quality of both of you. Yeah. Uh, but what's so funny is that our friend Peter Seaman, we're dropping that name a lot today. He'll he'll like that, uh, or or not. Um, but he. he before the pandemic, he always hosted an Oscar party. Yes. Which was really fun. Artie Schmidt was always there. Yes, he It's where was. I got to meet Artie Schmidt, the editor we mentioned earlier. And where Artie said to me, I remember, like, I just assumed some film was going to win Best Editor. And he said to me, no, the best edited films are the ones you don't look at the editing. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting comment. Yeah. Like, because you assume, like, the heart, the... Fancy montage with you an know, action picture. Yeah. Cut to the guy, the Jay, the guy about to kill him. Yeah, no. and he said, "No, no, no, no. That's not. No. That's not a good. That's, that's editing. You don't. You want to be subtle seamless. art form. Yeah, and it's so, like the music. If you're hearing the music, 
Well, maybe that was a little overbearing. That's true. That's it interesting. It should be speaking to the emotion of the characters. Right. In which case you're involved in those characters. You're not hearing right. the subtext of it's what a, they're feeling. It's, it's a supplement. It's not it a... Is. Yeah, it gotcha. Is. Uh, but anyway, his wife, Liv, I always love Liv because at this party, this Oscar party, there's betting involved. I can't remember what it is, 20 yeah, bucks or whatever yeah. it is. But by the end, the pot's up. It's pretty good. Yeah. She's a killer. At Oscar night, she is so... No, she always... She becomes a different person. She does. And she, it's so funny to watch. Like, well, we know who's going to win this thing, but her big competition, I'm dropping a lot of names here, but one of the writers of Back to the Future is Bob Gale and his wife, Tina Gale, who's very different from Liv. She's yes. a very outspoken person. Yes. And, but the two of them have prepped for weeks for this battle. And it's really funny to watch who's going to come down. Hopefully, they'll have another Oscar party. Who's going to come down and win it by the end? Liv or Tina? Because that's who's going to win it. It's yeah. one of, and it's one thing. That it's like best short foreign film. That's going to be that's the deciding. breaker. Yep, that's it. <laughs> and it's going to come down between these two, yeah. whoever's got that. Yes. Uh, Liv, she's got surprising talents. Uh, besides uh, baking. Again, she's like a hippie, like a baker. She's, no, and you, I mean, Liv's journey to becoming a pastry chef at the leading French restaurant in Los Angeles, L'Hermitage, at the time, in the yes. late 70s, is a story unto itself. I mean, Wolfgang Puck coming up from the Mame's own to come and say hello to Liv while she's baking. Wow. Know? And, you know, hosting a dinner with all these French diplomats with Paul Bocuse. There's Liv doing the pastries. That's so funny. I mean, she, and she's just Liv, yeah. the hippie from Iowa. Iowa. Um, okay, this has been really fun, uh, and I knew it would be easy, but it was really fun, too, uh, talking to Steve Starkey. This is his book. I'm going to hold it one last time, Breaking and Entering, The Education of a Film Producer. Um, it's really fun. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, thank you, Jeremiah, again, as always. Thank you, Dr. D. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Steve. Hey, you're welcome. It's fun. Really fun. Really good. Okay. And we'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.